0: We are in Philemon, uh, Dave Jackson was telling me he read ahead in Exodus to be all prepared and was wondering um, how I was gonna teach on all of the minutia laws, and that's part of the reason we're in Philemon actually, but we will go back to Exodus at some point. Um, kind of excited about going through the tabernacle and some of the parts of that. Uh, but we are in Philemon. For those of you who weren't here last week, we didn't get very far in Philemon. And actually, this week, we're going to take another little uh, detour. We'll finish Philemon next week. Um, I'm starting to feel like John MacArthur would be able to spend three, three whole weeks in Philemon. But um, just kidding. Um, uh, he can spend a, a year in Philemon, actually. Yeah, um, but... Last week we spent most of the time not actually in the book but setting the sort of the the, the scene for the book. Um, so for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, very quickly we'll go through this. Philemon was written to um, a particular individual named Philemon. Philemon was um, a wealthy man in the city of Colossae. <laughs> he was um, a wealthy enough to have the church in his home, so it had to be a big house. Um, We know he had a guest room in his home because Paul asked him to prepare the guest room for him when he comes, and he had slaves. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, The slave culture was very prominent in Rome, and it plays a part in the book of Philemon because um, the slaves, there were more slaves than free people, And those slaves had zero rights and were treated extremely harshly, especially when they ran away, to prevent running away. And so what Paul was doing is writing a letter. Philemon's slave, Onesimus, has probably run away to Rome. Somewhere along the way, we don't know when or how, he crosses paths with Paul and Paul leads him to the Lord. And then he begins to minister to Paul. Uh, Paul is under house arrest, we believe, and he is ministering to Paul and makes a difference in Paul's life. And at some point, he realizes, I have to go back. By the way, that's a mark of true repentance, right? When you say, I've done wrong and I need to correct it. Um, So Onesimus is truly repentant, but now he's got a problem because if he goes back, what's going to happen to him? But fortunately, he's going back to a person that Paul knows, a person of godly character, and Paul is going to encourage him to forgive. And that's really what the point of the book of Philemon is. It's radical forgiveness. Forgiving people that you don't feel like you should have to forgive. Uh, a, A slave owner didn't feel like he had to forgive his slave. His slave was not even fully human in a sense, had no rights whatsoever. Why should I forgive this person? And we 're going to talk about forgiveness today when we get a little bit further. Um, so that 's the background of the book. Um, last week, all we really went through was the very beginning introduction, and it begins in verse one. In fact, let 's read the book, and then we 'll do a quick mention of what we did. Last week we 're going to do paid uh, pages, verses four through seven. And, but we'll read the whole book. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been, very, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that though you, through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So that is the book. Last week we mentioned that Paul begins by not claiming apostleship. And he doesn't even say he's a servant. He simply says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord, not of the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord. Um, Paul, throughout this book, is going to be appealing to Philemon as opposed to commanding him to do something. Because what he's asking him to do is radical forgiveness. Um, forgiveness that's countercultural, forgiveness and might even be seen as being wrong in that culture to forgive a slave. And, and so Paul is saying, I'm not telling you as an apostle. I'm speaking to you as one who also has suffered for Christ. Um, And and sometimes forgiveness is going to cause us um, even suffering. Um, We mentioned as well, and I want to just take a, before we go into what we have for today, that last paragraph um, talks about all the people he's with. I want you to see something. If you go to Colossians, and we believe that the letter of Colossians and the letter of Philemon were sent at the same time. They were sent at the same time, and they were delivered by the same person. So you have to picture the scene. Philemon is no doubt there, or perhaps is there. I shouldn't say no doubt, but the letter would have been brought to the church by Tychius. And Tychius walks in with two letters from the Apostle Paul. And Philemon is looking and standing right next to Tychius as Onesimus. I'll show you that out of Colossae. So Tychius is the deliverer of the letter. He's got two letters. Onesimus is there. Imagine Philemon's response. Wow, a letter from Paul. Wait a minute. There's my runaway slave. And all of these emotions. And then one letter gets handed to Archippus, who we believe is the pastor And one letter gets handed to Philemon. Philemon's going to read his letter and understand that that Onesimus is now a brother in Christ and needs to be treated a certain way. So if you go back to Colossians, um, just jump over there, Colossians 4. Uh, I just want you to see this because it's important if we're studying Philemon that we get that background. It says in verse 7, and Mark, Um, and if you go down to verse 12, he talks about Epaphras, these are all the people mentioned in Philemon. He mentions a couple of others, a man by the name of Justus, then verse 14, he talks about Luke, the beloved physician is here, um, and is Demas, And, and then in verse 17, he says, and say to Archippus, that's one of the people that the other letter is addressed to, Uh, uh, Philemon's address to see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So that's our our background to Philemon. Um, What I want to do today is go through verses four through seven, and then I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness, because it would be easy to jump into Philemon and maybe not have thought through uh, forgiveness. So we're going to think through forgiveness today. Um, not entirely, it's a big topic. And then next week, look at the appeal that, God, that Paul makes to um, Philemon. So um, look at verses four through seven. This gives us an insight into Philemon's character. Philemon is, um, is someone that we would all look up to. When you read this, you would have to say, this is a man that we would want in our church. Uh, we want everybody in our church. I shouldn't have said it that way, but this is a man that we would appreciate in our church as we would look at what he would be doing. And I think that's important because even this man needs to be encouraged to forgive. Right? In other words, we're not talking about somebody here who Paul is looking at and saying, that guy's kind of marginal. I better give him a lecture on forgiveness. This is the guy that everybody's going to look and say, that's an, an amazing man and he needs to be encouraged to forgive. So start at verse four, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So we have a couple of things that are said about Philemon. Um, By the way, most letters in the ancient world began, and Paul certainly does, with a commendation where they say what's good and a prayer where they offer a prayer for how you can um, be better, sometimes a prayer of thanksgiving but there's a commendation and then a prayer. And that's what Paul was doing here. So he's commending Philemon. What does he f- commend Philemon for? Love and faith. Um, they actually believe this is a kind of a chiastic structure. Chiastic structure is where, or chaya, however you say it, I say chiastic, um, where the first relates to the last and then it kind of works in. You may remember a pastor will do that sometimes where he'll say this verse goes with this one. Uh, they actually think that this is, his love is for the saints and his faith is toward Christ Jesus. So it's love in your faith toward Christ and toward the brothers. So love of the saints, faith toward Christ. And, and he is a person who is exhibiting that. He is one who loves the saints. And not only the saints, we mentioned that last week, all the saints <laughs> of whom Philemon is now one. So he loves the saints and he has faith toward Jesus Christ. Um, who, the idea here is that he is part of a Christian community and he is uh, loving people. This is not just a, uh, a love which is um, theoretical. It means he is putting into practice. He is doing things that are, are loving for the congregation, and he He exercises his faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he behaves. Um, His love is practical, in other words. Um, And Paul commends him for that. And at the end, at verse 7, he says, I derive much joy and comfort from you because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul is a man who, uh, Paul, Philemon is a man who is loving toward the saints the saints are refreshed through him, and he is a man of faith, okay? Um, I, I, I want you to think back. Well, let's finish this, and I want to talk about that, how that applies, applies to us. In verse uh, 8, he offers up a prayer for Philemon. I pray that, pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let's read that again. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Um, A prayer is now offered that Philemon, through the sharing of his faith, um, would become, that would be effective for full knowledge of what we have in Christ. I I think there's a real important principle here. Um, how how do we come to know um, Christ how do we come to know what is what Christ has done for us how does that become effective in us and the answer is by sharing your faith okay read it again I pray that by the sharing of the faith that will make that will I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Um, What does the sharing of your faith mean? Say, when I think of sharing faith, I think of witnessing. But I don't think that's what it means here. I think we're talking in context of the church that is in. How, How do we share our faith, say in this body, or in Grace Church of the Valley? God.
1: I think Paul addresses that in Ephesians when he, in, the first, in the third or fourth verse of verse 1 he says uh, <coughs> blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places so <coughs> he's talking about all that we have in Christ because he's our Savior and I believe that that's lived out not necessarily I mean it's seen by how we live our lives, not necessarily how we preach Christ.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you're saying it's how we are how we're gonna live our lives? Okay.
1: Based on the fact that we have all this wealth of spiritual blessings.
0: Okay. Very good. All right. Well darling, Okay, so just, just being here and fellowshipping is sharing your faith with other people. Okay, anybody else? Most uh, of us would understand because we're, we're all like-minded people, so we would share our faith with other people. Okay, so even just talking with somebody and being um, hearing their stories of faith, um, okay? Can I make some suggestions? Um, I I think this means living it out practically like Philemon was doing. Um, You have gifts. You should be serving. You have uh, talents that God wants you to use. Um, You should be encouraging one another. Remember back at the beginning of our church? Some of you can't remember back then because you weren't here. There was a real emphasis on the one another's. Which was sharing our faith with one another. And so let me just read through the list of the one another's. Um, and I, I just went through and actually pulled them out. I just typed, googled in, not googled, went into my, my Bible thing, one another. And this is what comes up. Be at peace with one another. Okay. In other words, if you're fighting with somebody, stop fighting with them. Be, be at peace with them. Uh, we, we are people who desire harmony because that's what Christ wants for us. We're to wash each other's feet. We're to love one another, and that's repeated numerous times, six, seven times. The only one that's repeated more is kiss, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, and I'm not sure if we want to be doing that, but um, um, got it. Okay, Tom, I'll make sure and get out quick afterwards, all right? Uh, Be devoted to one another. Um, Owe nothing but love to each other. Uh, Don't don't judge each other, build each other up, accept one another, admonish one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, tolerate each other, speak truth and love to one another, and, of course, forgive one another. That's sharing our faith. Uh, What I find interesting here is that Paul shares his faith by encouraging Philemon. Uh, encouraging Philemon the way he's encouraging him, reminding him of who he is, spurs him on to do what what he's gonna be asking, which is to forgive. Um, I would encourage you to be like Philemon. We need to have faith in Christ. We have to have love for the saints. Your love should be refreshing to other people. People should be refreshed, filled with joy because of you and the service that you offer, and the way that you live your life, and the encouragement that you are, and the way that you love other people. And that's who Philemon was. So that's something to ponder. I, I'm not real good at encouraging other people. In fact, i probably go the other way, which is really bad. But, um, but what's interesting is when you encourage somebody, what Paul is doing here, when you spot something that somebody's doing, and you encourage them for that, and you see what they're doing well, and you encourage them, it spurs them on to love and good deeds. And so, uh, you know, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe we make an effort to encourage each other. You see somebody who's serving, or who has a ministry, or somebody who said a kind word to you and made a difference, thank them for that and encourage them. Um, I think it's not a mistake that Paul starts out this book where he's going to ask Philemon to do something difficult by saying, look, Philemon, you're doing a lot well, a lot really well. Okay? Any comments on that before we go on? Tom? You mentioned
1: right at the beginning that Paul doesn't say he's an apostle. I think part of the strength of Paul's appeal is Paul himself. By this time,
0: Well, thank you. I didn't actually want me to be, yeah, I, I wasn't asking for anything there, but thank you, Tom.
1: Exactly. In terms of, for us, we ought to be encouraged by what's not written in, that it's Paul writing a short letter to a guy and asking him to do something that has probably never been asked in that society.
0: Exactly, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Um, all right. Now, I do want, like I said, I want to talk about forgiveness to set the stage for next week. So we've got about 20 minutes left. I want you to look at verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. That's an interesting verse. Paul says, I could command you to do this. They might say, well, there he's pulling his apostleship card. No, it's not because he's an apostle. You and I, if we were bold in Christ, could command people to do what Paul was asking Philemon to do. Because the Bible is absolutely clear clear about our responsibility to forgive. Um, We are not, uh, forgiveness is not an option. And somebody who is unforgiving is not demonstrating that they know the Savior. Someone who is unforgiving needs to actually be confronted. Now, Philemon has not proven himself unforgiving yet, okay? But what's interesting is that this isn't Paul saying, I'm an apostle and I can tell you what to do. This is Paul saying, this is what Christians do. And I could command that of you. Jump back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Uh, Actually, verse 12, Um, he's talking about what it looks like to live the Christian life. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. He says, put off the things of the flesh in the beginning. Put your affections on the things above. Put away the flesh. And now he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against you, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Not should forgive, you also must forgive. We are to forgive as we were forgiven. Um, If you go to Matthew, that's why Paul could command him to do this. This is not an option, this is required. If we go to Matthew chapter 6, And one of the most familiar passages in the Bible deals with forgiveness. It is the Lord's Prayer. Most of us could quote it. And because we can quote it, we just run right through it, right? The words go by. So let's look at what he says. Uh, Verse um, 9, well, at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? (coughs) Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Um, How do we want God to forgive us? Well, read it. How do we want God to forgive us? As we have forgiven. Okay, let me just ask the obvious question. How much of your sin do you want God to forgive all of, all of it right so how much of other people's sins are you to forgive all, all. okay I, I it's it's easy to just kind of read over that okay we're no uh, the, he's saying you want to be forgiven by God forgive other people now that messes with my theology a little bit because I don't see salvation as a work at all it's all by grace God even needs me give me the grace to forgive but but the principle there is that we as Christians are forgiving people and in case Jesus didn't make it clear enough you keep reading go to verse 14 for if you forgive others their trespasses your Heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, that's a scary verse. Paul says you must forgive. Jesus says you'll be forgiven as much as you forgive. And if you want your heavenly father to forgive you, you need to forgive, okay? Um, and, and in principle that's good, but then we start getting into the details, right? But you don't know what that person did to me, right? You don't know what I've been through. And you don't know that that person deliberately hurt me. And you don't, and right? And we start start doing that. Um, so let's look at another passage. Um, Matthew chapter 18 is in uh, the last part of it all deals with forgiveness. <clears throat> and... At at the beginning, it actually begins in verse <coughs> excuse me, verse 15. It says, it my, my Bible has titled If Your Brother Sins Against You. All right, well, let, let's just answer the question. If your brother sins against you, what? You need to forgive. What's interesting is we're forgiving for a purpose. We're forgiving because God has forgiven us and we're also forgiving Christian brothers to bring them back into fellowship. The whole point of of what Jesus does is to bring us into unity with God and into unity with each other. Read John chapter 17. Uh, That they may be one just as we are one. This is what Christ is doing. The goal is reunification. So Matthew 18 is oftentimes misinterpreted as how we can get rid of people who are troublesome, but it's actually a pattern for how to bring people back. So it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But let me ask a question. What if he doesn't listen to you? Do you still have to forgive him? Yes. This, the forgiveness is offered when the sin happens. Reunification happens when repentance takes place. Everybody follow that? Sometimes we say, but that person has never asked me for forgiveness. Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. He didn't ask you for forgiveness. That means you aren't reunified. And the point of going to him and confronting him with his sin is so that he asks for repentance and you can be reunited with that person. And then it talks about taking it to the church, and then or two or three taking it to the church. But the whole idea is restoration. But the principle is already there: we are to forgive when the sin happens. And you probably have heard somebody say that to you: um, uh, "I forgave you when you when, when you did what you did." Your parents may have said that to you. You, you don't need to. You, you need to repent, but you don't need to, in a sense, ask me for forgiveness. I already forgave you. Of things that you have already done. Now, just so you might say, well, you might be stretching that about forgiveness. I don't think so. Look at Paul, Peter's response to this. Peter says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Okay. Paul's getting down to brass tacks. All right. One time, fine. Two times. How many times? And he comes up with seven. The rabbi said three, so Paul, Peter is being very magnanimous here. I'm gonna go twice as much, seven times. And what does Jesus say? Seventy times seven. And then he tells the most amazing parable on forgiveness, one that we should hold on to always. It's the parable of the man who owes his master 10,000 a 10, talents. It says, verse 8, 23, and let's go and read this down to the end of the chapter. for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken, had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "'You wicked servant, I forgave you all, that you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you?' And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother From the heart. There's that same statement again. All right, everybody understand the parable? This is the easiest parable to understand. Who's the king? Christ the Lord. Lord, God is the king. Who is the person who owes 10,000 talents? We are. And who is the person who owes 100 denarii? Our brother who sins against us. Now, um, I. I think sometimes we miss something in terms of the scale of this. Anybody know what a denarii is? If you look up in your book, in a Bible, it'll say like twenty cents or a dollar or something. Anybody know? A day's wage. It's a day's wage. Day's wage. So let's just do a little math here. I don't get to do math much in this class, but <laughs> hundred days' wage. Let's just imagine. Roughly, if we're talking $10 an hour, a day laborer makes $80 a day. So 80 times 100, $8,000. Is that a big debt? It would be to somebody who only makes $10 an hour, right? Somebody owes you 8,000 bucks and you're making uh, you're making $10 an hour. That's a big debt. This is huge. Okay, what's a talent? One talent is 6,000 days wages, okay? So if we multiply 6,000 times 8,000, no, 6,000 times 80, 48, one, two, three, four. One talent is about a half a million dollars, 480,000. How many talents? does he owe to his master? 10,000. So add five zeros here. $48 billion. $48 billion. Okay? That's why I'm saying we miss some, we kind of look at 100 to 10,000. This isn't 100 to 10,000. This guy has somebody owing him 8,000, but he was forgiven 48 billion. This is about 20 years worth of labor is what it comes down to. One talent is 20 years worth of labor, and he owes 10000 Okay, Do you understand what Jesus is doing here if you're sitting there listening to him? But you say, what about the worst thing that could happen to me? What if somebody murdered one of my children? What if somebody raped my wife? What if somebody destroyed me on purpose? They took in my business, which was providing for my family, and they just, they just through evil, deceptive, um, dishonest practices, they destroyed me. What if they did it on purpose? It wasn't even a mistake. And what if they're not repentant? In other words, if I forgive them, they will just do it right again. Isn't that worse than anything I've ever done to, to God? And the answer is no. no. The debt is still, you might say, but I've been a really good person. You know, I may have disobeyed my parents a little bit uh, when I was a kid and whatnot. No, the, the, the gap between us and God is so great that it's like $48 billion to $8,000. Okay? By the way, you know how the man says, give me time and I'll pay this off? <laughs> you take 20 years times 10,000, 200,000 years is how long he would have to work to pay that off. He's not going to be able to pay that off. You say, but how could my sin be equivalent to some of those horrible things that we had mentioned, rape and murder and torture and stealing and destroying? Well, what did your sin do to Jesus? It put him on the cross. God's son was tortured and killed. But what was worse was that God's son was cut off from his father wasn't the physical pain, it was the separation from God. Um, But here's the thing, (laughs) we still have trouble forgiving. We get really tied up in the fact that that person hurt me. Um, I've known of situations where a person just digs in and says, no, I'm not going to forgive that person. Look what they did to me. And they're not even sorry. And the opposite of forgiveness becomes what if you don't forgive a person what happens to you well you're not forgiven yeah but what happens to your your soul to your spirit you become bitter and angry and it eventually leads to hatred Um, it's it's hard to hang on to 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 um, somebody having sinned against you. Um, as our society moves further away from being Christian, and it's hard to imagine how we could be moving in that direction much faster, uh, Americans have always kind of prided themselves on forgiveness, but forgiveness will not be a virtue that's, that is um, valued in our society. Um, there's already a book out called Toxic Parents where the person argues that people who've had bad parents, parents who have hurt them, that the children should not be encouraged to forgive their parents. Should not be. Because you're taking the blame for the, what happened on you if you forgive your parents. Well, that's a very worldly understanding. It's not what the Bible says. Let me, let me close with one thing. I think it's kind of interesting because I, I think it may actually help a little bit when it comes to um, thinking about forgiveness. It's an article by C.S. Lewis called On Forgiveness. I read it years ago, but he says in the article that he, was, he attended the Church of England, and every week they recited the Apostles' Creed. It was just part of their church. And in the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, we don't repeat that, but I bet you, listen to the songs today. Somewhere in there, we're going to talk about our sins being forgiven, right? And, and his comment was, he said, I said that for years and years, and finally asked myself, why do, as a Christian, why do I need to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins? Don't we all believe in the forgiveness? Of, why do I have to remind myself every week that I've been forgiven? And then he began thinking about himself and forgiveness, and he said that what he found happening was that after he started thinking deeply about forgiveness, he realized that when he was praying and asking God for forgiveness, he wasn't usually asking for forgiveness, he was asking to be excused. He would say something like, yes, I got angry this week, but you just don't know that person. (laughs) That's a really hard person for me to get along with. And she did this, or he did that, and I got angry. So, do you understand what I've just done? I'm saying it was okay to be angry. Please excuse me. As opposed to saying what I did was uh, inexcusable uh, or, or, or uh, there's no, I have no excuse for the sin. Forgive me. And he actually said he believed that when you ask to be excused, that's the exact opposite of asking for forgiveness. Everybody got that? People look very pensive (laughs) right now. Stop and ponder it. Because when we are asking to be excused, what we're giving is reasons why we did what we did and hoping that those reasons are good enough. But in reality, at the core of it is something where we just have to say, I did this and I need you to forgive me. I have no reason why I sinned. There's no good reason for it. Now, you say, well, what difference does that make? And he said this. He said, we tend to do that to other people. When we fall into that mindset that forgiveness needs to have an excuse, he said, listen to people, they will say things like, yes, but that person did this to me and they're not, they had no reason to do it. Or they will say, that was inexcusable. Yes, that's why it needs forgiveness. But we tend to put on, and if, I can, if I can figure out a reason why that person did that, then I'm more likely to forgive them. If they can come up and give me a valid excuse, I didn't really mean to lie to you, it just sort of slipped out, I'm sorry, then we'll forgive them. But that's not what Jesus is asking. Jesus is asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus without any excuse being offered. I simply ran away and I stole from you when I did it. He's asking you and I to do the same thing. To say, I, I I forgive you, even if you meant to do it, even if you tried to harm me, I forgive you. Now, like we said, the relationship won't be restored unless there's repentance. The relationship will be broken, but you have to forgive. So when Paul says I could command you, he could. Um, but he feel, uh, prefers to appeal. Uh, we, we need to have that down as we get into the second part of Philemon. So any comments on that, Tom? Um, this is obviously a parable. Yes. And he told us in 13, chapter 13 that
1: parables are kingdom messages. And so I think part of the help for us when it comes to the kingdom is to realize we will know it in heaven But part of heaven's glory will be just the the incomparable measure of grace that we receive. So I think when we meditate on where we're going, it helps us become people who share kingdom with each other. Yeah. um, With people who are unbelievers, so it provokes us to want...
0: Anybody else? Glenn and Adrian.
1: I like Paul's uh, method of forgiveness in uh, and, and this thing. He could have sent Onesimus back home and then waited for a fight and then he stepped in and, and uh, used his authority to get it right. But when he did, he precluded that. And forgiveness was waiting for Onesimus when he crossed the border. He was welcomed with an embrace and open hand, and he never had to face it. That. That's true forgiveness. When you never have to face even part of your sin or your thing. And it was exemplified in the cross of Christ. His blood was shed for our forgiveness even before we knew we had sinned.
0: Yep. Very good. Adrian. I think Yeah. And let me let me just say too, uh, I, I, for, I, I think sometimes we think forgiveness should be easy, but those of you who've been through really hard things where somebody's hurt you deeply, know that forgiveness is a, actually, uh, in a sense, a process. It, it may take you days or weeks or months to get to the pers- point where you actually say, I forgive that person. But But what we can never do is find ourselves saying, I will not forgive that person. Because at that point, then we're saying to God, then I don't value the forgiveness that you offered to me. So those of you who are restless, some of you may have things that are, I mean, where you're going, but I I don't know how to do that. And I I can tell you that um, April and I went through something a while back, a long time ago, has nothing to do with Ben, by the way, where where it. It literally took months and months of praying to reach a point where forgiveness was offered. But I would say that just the fact that we were praying to be able to forgive meant that that process had already started, right? In other words, that's a process that goes through. Don't expect that if something really terrible happens that the next day you go, okay, they're forgiven. We're not wired that way, but our goal is always to be the people who offer forgiveness and to remember what Christ has done for us. And forgive it in a case like that under the most horrific circumstances where the person isn't even sorry. Still needs to be forgiven.
1: I'm just reminded of the story about Boom. How she was speaking about forgiveness. For
0: Okay, anything else before we finish up? We will finish Philemon next week, I promise. And then we'll move on to Second John. But just a second, we'll let. All right, let's go ahead and pray.